seat. Say hi to your neighbour as you sit down. Wow. Resurrection Sunday. For those of you that were here on Friday, I didn't put the lamb in the oven this morning. I wasn't asked to. For those of you who weren't here on Friday, let me explain. A few years ago, it was on an Easter Sunday, Wendy and I were very busy getting ready for church. And Wendy said to me as we were rushing around, can you put the lamb in the oven? And uh, then as Wendy's coming home with the girls, she says to them as she opens the door, oh, I can't wait to smell the aroma of that roast lamb cooking. And her eyebrows rise and there's no aroma in the house. In my defense, all she said was put the lamb in the oven and that's all I did. (laughs) So I haven't had that job since. But wonderful to see you this morning. Isn't it wonderful to hear Michaela read the scriptures from John 20 and to hear the children share their thoughts on Easter? Thank you, Pastor Trevor, for leading us around communion. I just thought it would be appropriate just to read a little bit more of the the resurrection account. Are you okay with that this morning? So carrying on from where Michaela left in John chapter 20. Verse 19, can I just say, I, I, I love story, and it's so good to put ourselves into the story of Jesus, so I want to invite you to do that as we read. So John 20, verse 19, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hands into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were gathered together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And don't you love this? Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas explained. Then Jesus told him, You believe me because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. 
The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs and additions to the one, ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Isn't that beautiful? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for scripture that, Lord, gives us life and hope. And Father, we thank you for this wonderful day as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Father, I pray right now through the power of your spirit that, Lord, within each one of us, you touch us afresh, revive our hearts, and, Lord, resurrect the dreams and the desires you've placed within us that, Lord, we would serve you and your purposes as long as we have breath on this earth. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing example. Thank you that you haven't left us alone, but your Holy Spirit is with each one of us. And, Lord, as we come around your word, I pray it will encourage us and refresh us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Praise God. Well, the thought I want to share with you today is Jesus is better than you think he is. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is better than you think he is. He truly is. No tomb could contain him. I was, uh, yesterday I finished a book by John Ortberg and it's called, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. And uh, he was telling the story in the opening chapter uh, that he used to play Monopoly with his grandmother, who was a devout Christian. But not only was she a wonderful Christian, she was highly competitive. And uh, who remembers the days of playing Monopoly? Yeah, we've all been part of that game, haven't we? And uh, maybe we could have a tournament on that too, Kristen, one time. And, um, and so here was John playing uh, Monopoly with his grandmother. And he, he was writing that he would just lose every game. He would go around the board and his grandmother would buy up every property and then he would come along and land on each property she had purchased. And he was just dishing out this money. He was ending in jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. And then finally it happened. One day he won and he was expecting his grandmother to be very, you know, joyous with him, but she wasn't. <laughs> she was competitive. Uh, but she picked up the board and the pieces and poured it into the box. And this is what she said to him. When the game is over, John, it all goes back in the box. So make sure you build yourself on something more than the principles of this world. And it says he never forgot it. And I guess the story of Easter is a reminder that we must build our lives on eternal values and not temporal ones. Because Jesus, oh Jesus, is so much better than what we think he is. John also shared this lovely joke, and I'll share it with you. I think you'll like it. He said, there's an old story about a florist who mixed up two orders on a busy day. One arrangement went to a new business owner who was opening a new premises, and the other went to a family who had a death. The man with a new business was really ticked off. The flowers got to delivered to him on opening day, and it said, rest in peace. The, flo the florist said, you think you've been ticked off. You should just see the family that have been here. A bouquet was delivered to a family funeral that said, all the best in your new location. 
And of course, when this life is over, some people go to extreme lengths to thinking about the afterlife. You can, in Arizona, Scottsdale, there was a company called Alcor Life Extension Foundation, which is the largest cryonics foundation in the world. And for a healthy fee, your body can be frozen at the point of death. Your blood will be filled with anticoagulants, and then you'll be stored in a capsule of liquid nitrogen at minus 200 degrees Celsius. And then they can heat you for you sometime in the future to revive you. If you don't like being frozen, there's another company called Genes Immortal, which will take your, preserve your DNA for 10,000 years so you can be cloned whenever it's convenient. But praise God, Jesus need, needed no cryogenics. He needed no DNA bank. The power of death was no match for him. The grave could not hold him. And I can just imagine, and just imagine this. Here's Father God on day one, pacing heaven, wanting to go and get his son. Day two, pacing heaven, talking with the Holy Spirit. I want to go and get my son. The alarm is set in heaven. And the moment that alarm goes, Father and the Holy Spirit are on the greatest mission of their lives. And it reminds me when Jesus created the universe. It says in John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things, were made by, all things that were made were made by Him. And in Genesis 1, 2, we read about the Holy Spirit being on the face of the earth. And here is Jesus and the Holy Spirit at work together creating the universe. But on Easter Sunday, Jesus is at rest, trusting for His Father and the Holy Spirit working together. Let's have a look at this slide. Can you push the next? Yeah, here we go. Romans 6, 4. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Jesus was raised by the power of His Father. Let's go to the next slide. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And isn't it good? Both the Father and the Spirit are at work to raise Jesus from the dead. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that absolutely amazing that God and the Spirit are at work to raise Jesus from the dead? I don't know about you when an alarm goes off, and I could imagine Father God in heaven waiting for the alarm of heaven. Is it the third day yet? He's on his mark. He's set to go. The moment that third day alarm goes, Father and Spirit are at work to raise Jesus from the dead. Jesus said, it is finished. I wonder if the Father said, it's just beginning. I wonder if he said that, it's just beginning. Jesus is raised from the dead. In 1 Peter 3.18, we read, Christ suffered for the sins once and for all time. He never sinned, and He died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but He was raised to life through the power of the Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful piece of Scripture? 1 Peter 3.18. So why was the Father so committed? Why was the Holy Spirit so committed to raising Jesus from the dead? It's a good question to ask. 
Why were they so committed to that? There's many reasons for it. We haven't got time to speak about all the reasons today, but I want to share three reasons with you this morning. The first is because Jesus is God's son. And what parent wouldn't do anything to save a son or a daughter? You'll go to any length for your son and daughter. I remember Wendy and I we were in fielding years ago, and uh, we were in a, in a, uh, a pharmacy, and uh, we jumped into the car, we drove down the road, and uh, I said to Wendy, you've got Jess, haven't you? She said, no, you have. Neither of us had. But of course, we went straight back to the pharmacy because she's our daughter. We weren't going to leave her in there by ourselves. And of course, we were petrified. You can just imagine these neglectful parents leaving their daughter in a pharmacy. And there she was just walking around the pharmacy, just quite happy, looking up to the various items and the combs and the, the lipstick and all those sorts of parts of the pharmacy. And finally, my heart settled down. But Jesus was the son of the father. And the father was going for his son. Romans 1 verse 4 says a very important thing. He was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. The father, the Holy Spirit, raising Jesus from the dead is the ultimate sign that Jesus is the Son of the living God. No one else in history has ever been raised this way. But Jesus, God's own Son, it's a testament that the Father is saying, this is my Son, this is the Messiah. And then there's another reason. Jesus didn't have to do what He did. He could have chosen not to have gone to the cross. He didn't have to save us. He didn't have to rescue us. He didn't have to pursue us. He didn't have to redeem us. But Jesus stood in the gap. Aren't you so pleased that he stood in the gap for you and I this morning? Isn't that so good? He took the heat, the judgment for you and I. He took upon him the sin of the world, the physical pain, the emotional pain. As you know, I've been trying to learn John chapter 15 the whole way through. I've got a little bit further. And uh, one of the things around verse 12 or 13, it says, There is no greater love than this, than one lays down one's life for one's friends. Jesus shared the greatest gift he could in giving his life for you and me. So Jesus died so the Father could confirm him for the whole world that this is my beloved Son. Jesus died because he loves you and me. And I think the other thing that Jesus died is something very, very interesting. Maybe you haven't thought about this. Jesus died to free us. But until this time, in the Old Testament, God himself was contained in the temple in a place called the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwell. And in this place, God had been there for a number of centuries and God was saying, it was time for me to come out. And when Jesus died and the, the temple was torn in two, it was a profound thing. What God is saying, there is no barrier to come into the presence of God. The blood of Jesus has made way into the very presence of God. Isn't that wonderful? There is no barrier to come into the presence of God. But equally, God is saying, no longer will I be contained in a temple made by the hands of men. 
We, Jesus said in Mark 14, verse 58, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. Hebrews 9.11 puts it this way. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. And he has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. Isn't it amazing that through the blood of Jesus, that temple curtain was torn so we have access into the fullness of the presence of God in the heavenly temple, not one made by human hands. And thirdly, I think there's another reason why the father was so impassioned to raise his son from the dead. Jesus always wanted to please his father, always wanted to do what made him happy. And I want to ask you right where you are right at the moment. Maybe you can just close your eyes for a moment. Jesus lived to please his father. His attitude was always to put a smile on his father's face. I want to ask you, Is that your attitude this morning? Is that your desire to put a smile on your father's face? Just take a few moments to ponder that thought. Jesus, I thank you that you lived put a smile on your father's face, that your whole motivation was to please your father, to do his will, to do his desire. And Father, I pray for every one of us today that, Lord, we will hunger and thirst after you, that, Lord, our hearts will be motivated to do what pleases you, not what pleases ourselves or our self-interest, but what pleases you. Thank you for that incredible example, Jesus, you gave. Amen. And so, here's Father. The The tomb is open. Jesus is risen from the dead. What a day that would have been. I love the way you started the, the gathering off this morning, Josh. The disciples were bereft, bewildered, and then turned to absolute joy. Have you ever had this experience? I, I had this happen to me a couple of years ago. I went to a funeral where somebody was <clears throat> buried. And then that week, I walked down the street and I thought I saw them again. Somebody looked so much like them. But Jesus came into the, the room of the disciples. And they were just, oh my goodness, you're risen as you said. That event absolutely transformed them, their lives. And as I read the scripture about Thomas, <clears throat> he was the one that doubted. He was the one that said, unless I see Jesus, I won't believe. But when he saw the risen Christ, his life was changed forevermore. Isn't that awesome? Tradition says this, that Thomas went to India and to the south of India, to a place called Chennai. And Stanley can tell you all about that. Where he planted churches, preached the gospel, and even there today, there is a tomb to St. Thomas. The resurrection, seeing the resurrected Christ, absolutely transformed him. 
Not only did it transform him, it transformed all the disciples. And all of the disciples, bar one, by tradition, died as martyrs for the gospel. And there's no way anybody's going to deny, or sorry, die a martyr for their faith unless they've had a supernatural experience with the risen Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And God says, you're my son. You didn't have to die for the well, but you did. You live for me. And this is my promise to you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. This is absolutely amazing piece of Scripture. Colossians 1. Verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God who existed before anything was created and is the supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. Christ, the head of the church, which is His body, He is the beginning supreme over all who will rise from the dead. He is the first in everything, for God in His fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely awesome. And then in Philippians 2, verse 9 and 10. Therefore God elevated him to the the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As Pastor Travis said, Christianity is unique to all other religions. There's no other religion that has a risen Savior. Islam doesn't. Hinduism doesn't. Christianity is unique. We are the only faith that has a risen Savior. Isn't that awesome? That is absolutely awesome. I am so pleased that we have a Christ who has risen and risen indeed. And through His Spirit, He lives amongst us right now as a faith community, as us individually. And as I said on Friday, it would be so good if we were free from suffering. Who would enjoy that if there was no suffering in this world? It would be so good. But Jesus as I said on Friday, and I want to just say a little bit more about that as we close. Jesus modeled the perfect way to engage with suffering. And as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he invites his three friends to come and pray with him. They fall asleep on the job, of course. Jesus goes and prays. But this is what Jesus does. And this is the pattern when you're suffering, when you're going through a real difficult time, He goes, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, help. He pours out his complaint. And then he says, Father, 
not my will, but your will be done. What Jesus is saying, I am putting my hands in yours. I am trusting you. No matter what happens, no matter what the the challenges that are in my life, no matter what the financial challenges are, the relational challenges, the work challenges, Father, I'm trusting you. I am trusting you. And I can tell you this, you can have a bad Friday and a bewildered Saturday, but you can be confident of this. If you put your trust on God, there's going to be a joyous Sunday. Isn't that awesome? Joy is coming when you put your trust in Jesus. And one of the things I was thinking just over the last couple of days that Jesus' friends went to sleep. And I was thinking that was probably a really good thing because Job's friends said some really dumb things. And when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah, they were the same three friends with Jesus. And Peter says, should we build a booth for you, Jesus? I don't know quite know where Peter came up with that idea. But I think Jesus, although he wanted them to be awake, was probably quite relieved that they were asleep. At least they couldn't say anything dumb. And here's the thing. When you're going through a tough time, You need friends around you. You need a small group to connect with. And so I want to say to you this morning on Easter Sunday, if you're not part of an Activate group, if you're not part of a small group, let Easter be the place where not only did I celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection, I joined a small group. And at the end of the gathering, you can meet Dominic at the guest table there and sign up for one and give it a go. Because Jesus needed his three friends to get through his time of suffering. He needed God. And so if Jesus needs friends in his most difficult time, so do we. And it doesn't matter whether <clears throat> what difficulties we're going through, whether you're the people of Israel that's about to cross the sea with the army of Pharaoh chasing you. God is better than what you think he is. He'll make a way. Whether you're in a lion's den, as Daniel was, fearing for his life, not worrying, not wondering what the next day was holding, trust God. Jesus is better than who you think he was. He'll make a way. Jesus, when he's in the tomb, his father is better than what we can think he is. He made a way for him. No matter what challenge you are facing today, Jesus is better than who you think he is. And he's promised to make a way for you. I hope that encourages you this Easter Sunday, that we serve a risen Lord who's better than what we think he is, who's absolutely for us and with us. And I'm going to conclude with this thought. Is um, I heard a, a lovely story from Ravi Zacharias who spoke of his um, father-in-law. And um, he was in the last stages of his life. And uh, Ravi was school, called to be by his father-in-law's bedside along with his wife. Uh, and he witnessed the most amazing thing. He said, as his father-in-law was struggling with breath, he said these words, he said, this is amazing. This is amazing. And they sensed that he was seeing something in the Spirit. 
this is amazing. He just kept on saying that. And then he turned to his wife, his eyes opened, and he said, I love you. His eyes closed, and he was gone. Jesus said this to Martha in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even after dying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Isn't that awesome? I want us to close with a final video. And uh, this was from a message that was recorded in 1974. You may have heard it before, but I hope it encourages you. God bless you. Thank you, church. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Life is matchless, his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes, his word is enough, his grace is sufficient, his reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him, for yet he's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. 
Silence couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't 